0: Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, We have had so many amazing guests on the show throughout the years um, who give different facets into a a look into the Orthodox world uh, from all over the world. Um, And recently I found out that the deputy mayor of Jerusalem is an Orthodox woman. The interesting thing is, is that um, You know, when Orthodox Jews do bad things, um, a lot of times it makes the headlines and you see right away what they look like, who they are, and the Chil Hashem is there. When Orthodox Jews do good things, um, a lot of times it's just kind of hidden. It's just they're living their life, they're going about their business. Um, A big deal a lot of times is not made about their religion, it's just kind of matter of fact. When they do something bad, the religion is front and center, when they do something good, it's not really relevant. They're relevant, they're just a person, um, and so we actively um, seek out these stories, look for uh, people like this, um, because I think many people, um, even people who are raised observant, um, have the wrong idea that you know uh, Jewish law and Torah and mitzvot um, are something that um, should limit us, that should you know uh, keep us from you know, having an impact on the world to keep us from um, using our talents. Obviously, there are limitations that we, we do not have every uh, profession or hobby available, um, but there are many things that are open to us. And this is always an important message for someone from the outside looking in, wondering if they could become more observant, could they find room in our community, and for the person that is already in, that's feeling kind of boxed in, to know that there are more options. Um, And so uh, without further ado, I'm uh, delighted to welcome our guest, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Fleur Hassan uh, Nahum. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Wonderful being with you.
0: So if you could tell us a little bit about um, your background, where did you come from, Um, what, what was your Jewish education and observance like growing up? Sure. So I'm originally from Gibraltar,
1: which Mm -hmm. is a little British colony um, in the south of Spain, the south of the Iberian Peninsula. We're not an island, we're a peninsula because we're surrounded by water on three sides and then we're connected to Spain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up in a traditional Sephardi community, traditional to Orthodox, I would say. Um, But practically the whole community um, was a mitzvah observant, go to shul every week, it's kosher, etc. Um, my family was traditional um, and I grew up in a Hebrew school, the only Hebrew school. It's a small place, of course, um, until went to secondary school and there was no, at the time, there were no Jewish schools in the high schools. So we used to have um, and and Gibraltar is a Catholic country, so we used to have a rabbi come into the secondary school, to the high school that we were in, when everybody else was learning religion and Christianity. We would have our rabbi coming in and teach us Judaism. And so, you know, I would say I had a solid Jewish education uh, in Gibraltar, and certainly a very traditional, culturally rich, uh, where Jews um, that are uh, emanate from Spain. My mother's from Morocco, and uh, these are very old, traditional communities uh, with rich culture cuisine uh, arts and uh, yeah grew up in a very happy place
0: <laughs> and you know with sort of the rise of anti-semitism around the world I'm just wondering wait so just to clarify right now because I guess I always thought of Gibraltar as being part of Spain but it's its own country that is a British colony but sort of yes. like how, how I could imagine it's almost a British, like a, okay it's a it's a British
1: protectorate so imagine like the like the British Virgin Islands that you had in the Caribbean.
0: That's like exactly that. what I was going to compare it to. Okay, learn something yeah. new every day. Uh, um, and <laughs> what what was the treatment of the Jews? Speaking of rising anti-Semitism, what did it feel like? A safe place, or were there still some mm-hmm. uh, you know bad feelings from five hundred years before? Or?
1: Well, Gibraltar became British. The Jews uh, moved to Gibraltar when it became British because at the time they couldn't live in Spain. Mm-hmm. So my family left Spain during the Inquisition. They ran away. They went to a couple of islands around the Iberian Peninsula, and when they heard that Gibraltar had become British, they moved into Gibraltar because they knew that it would be a safer place for them. So the first settlers in Gibraltar were actually Jews hmm. um, and Spanish you know, Spanish and Portuguese Jews. Well, you know, Gibraltar is the opposite of, uh, of anti-Semitic, and I'll tell you why. My father was actually a politician. He was the first prime minister of Gibraltar, hmm. and he was elected eight times, so a... A Jew who was very uh, out- outspoken and very honest about his Judaism went to shul every week and had a kosher home. Was the prime minister of Gibraltar and was elected. Uh, he was basically the head of the country for uh, over f- for about forty years.
0: That's amazing, and I love uh, I love the people that can trace their history back for hundreds of years. That's really incredible to know so much about where you come from. Um, so now, take us through um, your journey. So you're raised traditional, but you became more observant along the way. Um, I did, yes. And so, so my parents when?
1: were traditional. So um, we were probably the least religious people in the community, but still uh, quite traditional. Of course, we had a Jewish education and a kosher home. Um, and then I because of high school and because of, uh, I guess, my Jewish education, I became more more observant than my parents. And my parents were always very, very supportive of that um, and did anything, that any changes I needed to make at home. They were very, very supportive. Um, and... And then when I went off to university and I married somebody even more observant who -hmm. actually comes from a similar background, also Sephardi, also became more religious than his traditional parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And on our second date, we decided that uh, if we were to continue and get married, we would live in Israel. So that was, Uh um, I'm very happy I met a Zionist uh, too. And uh, we were both on the same page. We both wanted to create a home and, and a family in Israel. So we made Aliyah. We immigrated here before we had our kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got four beautiful kids, Baruch Hashem, and uh, we've been here for 19 years.
0: Beautiful, so um, now take us through um, some of the career path. When and how did you get into politics? Is there anything worth mentioning um, in your career or education before the political piece? And then when did things switch to politics? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, because I grew up in a political home, um, politics is not alien to me. I think a lot of people are kind of scared of politics. Uh, a lot of women think, oh, no, it's not for me. It's too rough. probably is too rough, but I grew up <laughs> with it at home. And so I grew up with it at home, so I it, it, was, it was something known to me. I saw my father's public service his whole life. I saw how good he was with people. I saw how people loved him because he did so much for people. And so I always had that... Um, I always had that in the back of my mind, of course. You know, the, the people who are politicians were always politicians the day they were born. I was the, the class rep when I was 12. I was the student body president when I was 18. I was the head of the Jewish society when I was in college. And so I've always kind of had a, uh, a record of, of, of stepping up and, and trying to be involved, uh, lead whenever I, I was needed. Um, and so I came to Israel. I'm a lawyer by profession. I studied law in England. I came to Israel and I worked in non-profit for many, many years. For six years, I worked at the JVC, which is the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee. And then um, I was the executive director of a small organization called Tikva, which is actually run, uh, you know, it was formed by ultra-Orthodox Jews. I was probably the only modern Orthodox woman in the whole team, um, which saves uh, abandoned and abused Jewish children from the former Soviet Union. I did that for five years. And then I became a communications consultant. I was always a good speaker, so i I decided to create my communications consultancy helping people become better speakers, do more effective messaging, present their stories, uh, storytelling, and all that that's involved. And I was involved with that for seven years uh, I, I, as the principal in this business. and in the course of my work, I was asked to help a political party, a small political party in the local uh, in the local scene here in Jerusalem with their messaging and presentations. And I got sucked in, <laughs> and um, I ran for city council. I became a city councilwoman in 2016. I ran again in 2018, and I uh, was made a deputy mayor for foreign relations. So that's kind of my path, and I truly believe that, you know, um, nothing happens uh, coincidentally. I don't believe that. Uh, you know, the way I see it is that uh, God opened a door mm-hmm. in 2013, and I felt that I had to walk through it. I didn't actively look for it, but when it mm-hmm. kind of presented itself to me, I, I decided to walk through the door that God opened, and I truly believe that. Hmm.
0: I think that's great, sort of knowing what your natural talents are and then looking for sort of opportunities where yes. you have the chance to, uh, to, to use them. Um, I guess. So what are some of your responsibilities as deputy mayor? So I'm responsible for
1: um, Jerusalem's uh, foreign relations so that involves our diplomatic relations for example with the thank god with the united states embassy that moved to the capital um so i'm there i'm the point person for the city with them in anything they do uh we're built they're building the new embassy i'm the point person for the um you know the 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 the, um, the meeting points and the um the connection with the city and everything they need to build the embassy i'm involved with economic development with different countries, uh, with all the kind of economic collaboration, city to city, I'm involved in um, in philanthropy coming into the city, uh, tourism, and uh, and anything to do with Israel's uh, Jerusalem's image abroad, Jerusalem's connections abroad, and Jerusalem's uh, you know commercial and diplomatic ties abroad. I feel very blessed that after two and a half, three thousand years that the city became the capital city of the Jewish people. Uh, yeah, I, can today, you talk to us about, the, ta- tell
0: us about the day the embassy moved. Um, obviously, that's a little bit, um, I guess everything is politically charged right now. And that's actually why politics um, terrifies me, because I feel like you, <laughs> you say see, one I word. wasn't wrong. It terrifies women. <laughs> no, by the way, I, um, I have a big mouth and I have lots of opinions. I just, I find that political discourse, at least in the US right now, and I don't know what we know, maybe things in Israel are equally uh, dysfunctional. There's just so few people are willing to have a reasonable conversation. And as much as I try to try to hear different approaches and hear different voices and give people the credit of being reasonable and thinking people and say, how did you come to that conclusion? I came to a different conclusion. Let's talk about, you know, where the gap is between us. People go straight to vilifying other people. And that's that's the part that I just, I find so unappealing.
1: I totally agree with you. Listen, we're living in a culture where um, instead of us moving towards nuance and understanding that nothing is black and white. We're moving and polarizing uh, towards black and white. Um, yeah. you, you know, it's a zero-sum game. You win, I lose. Mm-hmm. You're wrong, I'm right. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. And I don't think Judaism believes in that because we have a tradition of interpretation of right. halacha, in interpretation of opinions, multi-opinions, 70 faces to the Torah, you know, and that's what's supposed to teach us. Uh, the truth is never black and white, mm-hmm. Um and nobody ever has one truth, um, you know. And so I, I'm like that. I, I exactly agree with you. And there are moments where, believe it or not, I find a lot of people in the political sphere who are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's happened is that with, um, with I guess, the rise of social media yes. and <laughs> and the short messages and the kind of culture of whoever Barks louder gets the attention, and whoever sounds more vile gets the headline. Mm-hmm. I think that our um, the our communications culture is kind of setting the scene for the polarization of of society instead of bringing us closer together. Which the lowest common what... denominator,
0: yeah. Because yes. I, I'm happy to engage in an intelligent debate. I just don't want to go low. And when someone is willing to, and I actually try to even move comments to a more civil place. And some people, I mean, really, I think it's their mental health that's coming out. And so that's how they're they're speaking to someone else. But it just, yes, it goes low and it gets nasty. So talking about the polarization.
1: What I want to say is a few things.
0: Um, you have that, which is what
1: the world sees. And then you have what the world doesn't see. And what the world doesn't see is all the collaboration that there is mm-hmm. between different politicians from different parts of the political spectrum mm-hmm. um and so even though i'm a i'm a right-wing uh, Likud member of the central committee um i'm uh, a humanitarian and i'm centrist in social policy etc some of my very good friends in politics come from extreme extreme come from the left Come from the uh, Haredi society, for example, who you know you wouldn't necessarily think that they'd have something to do with a, a feminist woman, an Orthodox feminist. They don't really, they don't really get Orthodox or feminism. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and in, behind closed doors, behind the headlines, there's a lot of good faith and collaboration, mm-hmm. and very good people. And then even those people. The moment you want a little bit of press attention or social media attention, you have to sound unreasonable to get that headline. And that's really the disturbing thing. That's the disturbing thing. You know, the other day I had a terrible situation with uh, a politician who likes to chase headlines. And he said to me, you know, I think he did something very damaging. I said, what did you get out of this? He said, well, I was I got the headline. I said, so you're willing to compromise on the goodwill of the city for the sake of a headline. Those are the irresponsible politicians we need to kick out. But there's mm-hmm. many responsible politicians out there, so don't give up on us yet.
0: Okay, I appreciate the uh, the optimism. So uh, being that it's polarizing, let's talk about it anyway. What was that, um, that day like with the um, embassy move?
1: Oh, sure. So it was a fantastic day. We just celebrated the two-year anniversary. You know, we're seeing a little bit now with the whole application of sovereignty debate. Oh, the whole world's going to go against us. Oh, there's going to be another intifada. Oh, there's going to be violence. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. It was a smooth day and a day in which um, a wrong was righted. We are a sovereign country. We have a right to choose our own embassy and the recognition of the most powerful country in the world, America, of the fact that Israel can actually decide where its own capital is, was absolutely momentous. And uh, and after the U.S., like Guatemala came, we've had the Honduras is on its way with the trade office in Australia. And I think it started a domino effect, which is only going to be good for the entire region, not just Israel, not just the Jewish population, but everybody
0: so that's sort of the political view but what about the religious view what i'm saying for me there was a certain sense of a certain restoration of Yerushalayim. i mean we're now uh, at the beginning of the three weeks um and you know sort of i mean as a jew in Gaulus right now um with you know anti-semitism going unchecked um we've had news here this week of celebrities just sharing disgusting messages. Farrakhan, that, yeah. yeah. Farrakhan is the new is <laughs> the new uh hero. Um yeah. I'm just thinking that um was there a sense of this is maybe moving towards um something uh, I don't know. I, I often see Israel as just sort of you know millennia old prophecies <laughs> unfolding before our eyes. Was there a moment like that for you? Um
1: not really because <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, I'll be honest. I, I'm
1: a self confident Jew. I'm a self-confident Jerusalemite. Mm -hmm. This is our capital city. Mm -hmm. It's very nice that America recognized it. It -hmm. gives us a geopolitical um, advantage. But I don't need another country to tell me what my capital is. I know what it is. It's always has been. It's been for 3,000 years. And so that's why, you know, I didn't have the spiritual feeling, but Mm -hmm. I certainly was very happy and we celebrated.
0: Okay, I hear that. that's a fair answer. Um, so let's talk about how um, your observant um, lifestyle and your observant, uh, you know, wisdom, your, your perspective on life um, interplays with uh, your political career. First of all, are, are you meeting, do you meet other Orthodox women or Dati women in um, the political sphere in Israel or is that not so common? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We're, there's lots of us. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. And more coming.
1: Um, uh-huh. Yes. Religious women are definitely in leadership positions here. There's a lot of different groups. Uh, we're talking, we can we can look at um, women who are fighting women's causes in halachic issues. For example, the issue of, um, you know, uh, gets and mm-hmm. the, the, the men who refuse to give women gets. Yeah. There's a lot of Uh, social action with religious women around that of course Um, all sorts of uh, all sorts of different organizations to strengthen or to empower different women from different sectors of society Um, you know women's intellectual Jewish thought organizations and women in politics like myself there's many 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 women I won't be happy I mean 25% of the Knesset uh, members are women Mm -hmm. in local politics it's a little less it's about 19%. Um, uh, I won't be happy until women are 50% of the decision makers anyway, because only then we will have a balanced world. One of the fights that we fight is actually against the ultra-Orthodox parties who don't want to allow ultra-Orthodox women within their lists. Right. And that is completely discriminatory. They say it's halacha. There's not, not, nothing halachic about not letting a woman be a politician. They're all quite happy to sit with me. In closed rooms. So it's not an issue of seniority, that's not an issue of modesty, it's just an issue of power. Mm -hmm. Men wanting to keep the power, it's a feminist struggle. And I've got a lot of ultra orthodox feminist sisters um, in this fight, and we will continue to fight until uh,
0: these parties uh, allow women uh, to run in their lists. Where, you know, I think that. I did not grow up observant. So my perception of the Orthodox woman was the subjugated woman. I then met Orthodox women who I saw were empowered and had voices and um, were respected by the men in their worlds. and I saw so many feminists or empowered or whatever you want to call it, depending if people have an issue with the word feminist, which I hope they don't. Um, and then I met people that were actually living in situations where they did not have such a voice um, and uh, not shockingly, they were not so happy in their orthodox situation. So at this point, I've sort of seen a little bit of everything. Um, the places where women do have voices and power, the places where they have less of it. Um, would you, how, since this, I guess, sort of the the stereotype is that women are subjugated, um, what part of Jewish wisdom would you say sort of inspires you to be a woman with a voice and a woman seeking equal respect?
1: Well, first of all, you know, all the laws of respecting your neighbor, loving your neighbor, derech Heretz, uh, apply to women too. Sometimes right. men forget. <laughs> we are people too. Yes. Um, so listen, that's the first thing. God didn't give us a brain to waste. Uh, God did give us uh, ingenuity and uh, innovation and, you know, and and kindness and abilities to sit and do nothing with it because a man has told us that we can't. And so I want everybody to understand that any, any point in Judaism where you see a woman who's subjugated, It's not the religion that's Mm. subjugating the woman. It's the men who are interpreting the religion to serve their own political interests. And that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. It's not the religion. It's the religious, all Mm. the people purporting to be religious. Um, In in Israel, we're seeing more and more ultra-Orthodox women becoming more empowered because they're the ones who've been going out to work. So now they're not just doing menial low-paid jobs now they're managers and directors in high-tech companies they're the people bringing the uh, bringing uh you know the parnasa to their families and you see the men picking up the kids at three o'clock in the afternoon from the gun because the women have got high salaries and they're working very nicely and so there is a dynamic shift what we haven't seen is the dynamic shift in the political world we -hmm. still haven't seen enough or any ultra-orthodox women at all the ultra-orthodox men do not represent the ultra-orthodox women Um, they don't work towards helping the ultra-Orthodox women. And so women have to take the representation of other women in their community upon themselves. Mm -hmm.
0: And would you say there's any other ways that your observance has played into your professional career? Any like um, anecdotes or stories uh, worth noting of maybe someone who you surprised um, by being a Dati woman or maybe had a worse uh, opinion of religious Jews and met you and, and had their opinion changed? Well, a lot of people don't realize I'm religious because I don't cover my hair.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and so uh,
1: you know, I could I could pass as anything really. Um and I I'm I'm also an, a very open personality, open-minded. I meet with everybody. And so most of the time when I tell people I'm religious unless they know me, it comes as a bit of a surprise. And then I try to explain to them the religious values that I try and live by. Um, you know, which is respect. every human being which is the values of family uh the values of giving the values of kindness uh the values of you know being able to uh read uh, learn uh, and understand uh torah yourself i think a lot of the torah is twisted today to suit political interests Um, but if you go back to the source that we can find a lot of inspiration for me the most important thing in my life of course uh or the most important element of uh, being a religious woman and being a politician and being a mother of four children um, is having Shabbat um, as my kind of, you know, stopgap in the week reflection, um, getting back to the core values, understanding our place in the world and priorities. And I tell anybody, I tell everybody who, uh, I tell people who are not observant, don't know what you're missing by not keeping Shabbat because it's the one day that I can disconnect from my phone, from work and dedicate to my children. It's one day my children are not, you know, on screens, on their computers, playing games or whatever. We can play a real game, a board game <laughs> or, you know, the day that you invite friends that you can eat uh, with family, with community. And so that uh, Shabbat keeps me sane mm-hmm. um, and my batteries recharged. Mm-hmm. And I tell everybody, and I, you know, there was an interesting woman that I met. Can't remember her name now. She's a non-observant woman from uh, California, a Jewish woman, and she decided to uh, create something called technological-free Shabbats. Mm-hmm. And she's saying everybody should have a technology-free day uh, a week. You know, we see all these kind of detox camps where people go and put the, put their technology away. And I say, look, we have a detox right. camp once once a week, once a week. Um, and so for me the genius and the prophecy of the interpretation of the Torah and the interpretation of what Shabbat is that a hundred years ago when electricity was barely being invented some rabbi, some possek said you know this is work and that today mm-hmm. our phones have become that work yeah. I think is prophetic and I tell people if you're not doing it do it and it will literally save your life, it's such a peace yeah. a that comes over us on Shabbat and that's a big part of how I live
0: and how I manage uh, to live and be able to work as well. Beautiful. Um, we've got about three minutes left. Um, I feel like you have to ask every politician what's next. Do, do you have any, uh, can you say it yet? Do, do you have any thoughts of where your political career could go?
1: Um. Well, I'm. I'm very happy where I am right now. I'm doing a lot for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, is not just the capital city of the state of Israel. It's also the capital of the Jewish world. And so I, I find I have a lot on my plate. Of course, the next move for me, please God, again, if God opens another door, would be national politics, um, which, let's see, when that door opens, I'll be walking through it. And as long as I can serve my people and my country, then I'll be happy to continue.
0: Beautiful. Um, well, uh, we, we wish you uh, continued Hatzlacha. I mean, I'm thinking about here that we're speaking about Jerusalem on, uh, you know, Shiva Sabah well, is the day that exactly. is, uh, sort of marks the, the beginning of the destruction. Um, but, um, I think, you know, really what I hear from this is, you know, the rebuilding is continuing and continuing. Um, so you should, Jews
1: um, are always building. And even yeah. if we have
0: downfalls
1: and even if we have moments where people are trying to destroy us, you know, Hashem's promises that will never be destroyed. And our responsibility in this world is to make it better. And we do that every day. And I'm very proud to be a part of that
0: beautiful. Well, we wish you continued hatzlacha in uh, in rebuilding Jerusalem um and you know god willing in the rest of your political career. Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you. Yeah, you too as well. Um and thank you all for listening. I hope you have an easy and meaningful fast and you can catch us same time same place next week. Bye-bye.